Good evening. It is good to be together. What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship. Sunday evenings are such a blessing. If you will, open your Bibles to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Please get your Bible out. We won't have slides tonight, and we'll look at several passages. Hopefully, that will enrich our life as we study God's Word together. We've had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, several of the fathers and daughters enjoyed a retreat together this weekend. And, you know, uh, I enjoyed that time period together with, with Emily. And, and I've got to tell you, one of those moments was just kind of like a, a really neat moment. You know, I was just standing there kind of in the middle of the ground. There's lakes over here. And I see three girls in a canoe out in the lake there. And I see another girl on the top of a little tree here. And I see other girls going by. And by this time, it's Saturday afternoon. You can imagine with hair, what it would look like if the guys were taking care of the girls. Hairs everywhere. Muddy, front side, back side, hands, knees, face, girls just running everywhere. And I thought, if their mamas could see them now. It was a beautiful, beautiful sight. The young ladies are such a blessing. It's no surprise to you that we have wonderful, wonderful daughters in this congregation. Have great fathers. It was just a wonderful weekend. We appreciate Clint and uh, the, the leadership of that. And of course, we appreciate each one that participated in it. Also, while that was taking place here uh, JP led an equip conference. It was an involvement conference where involvement ministers and even some elders and deacons came from, from hundreds of miles around. Several states were represented. Uh, several came to hear a lineup of speakers from 2 o'clock Friday afternoon to 2 o'clock Saturday. And it was a great success. We appreciate his leadership in that to help the kingdom and especially in the area of helping individuals find their place and helping leaders help individuals find their place. And of course, you know, as it's been mentioned several times already today, that's what we're trying to do right here in the life of this congregation and especially today. So make sure you give some prayerful thought about where do you want to commit your life of service over the next couple of years and, and make sure that you, you jump in, you use the ability God's given you, you use the energy God's given you, and you give him all the glory. It's not about us. It's about what God can do through us and that we can do his work as he has sent his son to begin this work on earth. And we simply want to be a continuation of that work and enjoy an eternity with the kingdom of heaven uh, when our time on this earth is done. We've already mentioned several times today uh, the passing of Miss Phyllis Pittman. Wonderful, wonderful widow in our congregation. And uh, most of us, many of us have grown to love her very much. And uh, we miss her, but yet at the same time, her passing is her victory. And uh, she lived her life faithful to her Lord. And uh, we celebrate that on behalf, but that still doesn't uh, remove the fact that we still grieve. Survivors still uh, grieve. And so we want to continue praying for uh, Pam Boyd and for her family and for those that were so close to her. We are continuing tonight, probably the final lesson on how to build fantastic relationships by using the fruitful principles of the fruit of the Spirit. 
We've been studying Galatians, the fifth chapter, four previous sermons. And I'd like for us to read that text even again, even though most of us here have read it many times over the past few weeks. Look again, if you will, at Galatians 5, and let's pick up in verse 22. Notice the verses above this, starting in 19, give a list of the works of the flesh. You may want to take a moment just to scan that with your eyes. Look there at the works of the flesh in 19 and 20 and 21. And he closes 21 by reminding us that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Beautiful characteristics that all group together make up the fruit of the Spirit. And as we've emphasized, just by way of review, remember, it's not that we set out to say on a surface, these are the things we want, so let's work on these. But instead, these are the things that are the fruit. These are the things that are produced if we work on saying, I want to crucify that passion that leads to that list above, that desire that leads to the works of the flesh. And instead, I want to be Christ. I want to belong to Christ, not belong to the world. I want to live in the Spirit, and I want to walk. I want my conduct to be according to the Spirit. We could apply this to every aspect of life, but for several weeks, we've been applying this to relationships. What if you go into work tomorrow, and you've crucified Christ, and you're living in the Spirit, and these characteristics we've just read is exactly the way you interact, even with the people that have mistreated you. Even as someone that has just gossiped about about you or has lied about you or has mistreated you in some way, this is still the fruit that is going to be produced in your life. What a powerful, powerful response. What an empowering response. Because now other people do not power your life, but God empowers your life. By way of review, notice again as we look at that list, the first two was love and joy. And the principle that we drove home there is that if we're really going to build fantastic relationships, we've got to shatter the mirrors. Stop interacting with other people based upon how they have treated you. Instead, shatter that reflection and say, I've received love from God. I've received joy from God. And that is what I will choose to receive and to reflect to everyone around me. But then we looked at the next two, and that's the peace and the long-suffering. That's turning the other cheek. A lot of the time to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life will mean that we have to suffer. We may have to sacrifice energy. We may have to sacrifice our will. We may have to sacrifice money. We may have to sacrifice comfort, convenience. What are we willing to do to make sure that peace and long-suffering is produced in our life? Now notice, we never sacrifice doctrine. We never sacrifice unity with Christ. But other things, even when it hurts, should be sacrificed in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifested in our life. But then we thought about the extra mile as we looked at kindness and goodness. You know, even people out in the world will be kind to people who are kind to them and good to people who are good to them. And and it's common to see people in the world that go the mile, but will you go the extra mile no matter what individuals have done to you? 
That's the teaching of Jesus is it's unconditional to have that kind of goodness and that kind of kindness. We talked about last week, faithfulness. What a powerful, powerful requirement of God. We looked at it again this morning in the aspect of God does not simply want us to begin a journey. God wants us to stay on that journey and finish that journey. You take any of the good that you have done in your life and you quit and it's as if all the good is for no avail. The power in our life is in a God who does not leave us nor forsake us and He wants us to live our life in that same way. Not leaving Him, not forsaking Him, living our life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit day in and day out. I think about a, a beautiful email that I got this week from someone who, who listens uh, to our sermons every week online. And it was a real simple email. And I think that at times he's probably described all of us. And that simple email was about the lesson on faithfulness. He said, thank you for that lesson. I'm going through some tough times now. I know that he's a young father. I know that he has a lot on his plate at work. And he said, I really needed to be reminded of how important it is to not quit. We all need that reminder. The easiest thing for us to do is to quit. We need to have that principle, that principle of good stewardship. Why did God reward the five and the two talent? He didn't reward them because the five made five more. He didn't reward the two because he made two more. He rewarded them because they persevered, because they used what he gave them and they persevered. In other words, he didn't say to the two talent, shame on you. You only produced two. This other man over here produced five. Why did he rebuke and cast the other servant into outer darkness? The one talent man, it wasn't because he only had one. God is the one who gave him one. It was because he quit. He took it and he buried it. Friends, God cannot reward quitters. He doesn't want us to quit. As a matter of fact, He is so much in favor of us not quitting that if we do quit, He says, I want to tell you a story. And He gives us Luke the 15th chapter to show a father who has his arms wide open for the son who quit. And when that son finally woke up spiritually and decided he wanted to come home, the father was the first one to celebrate and welcome him home. God longs for us to be faithful. He does everything within his power to encourage us to be faithful. But that brings us to the final two tonight. And as we think about the final two, you see them there listed by themselves in 23, in verse 23, gentleness and self-control. We call this principle the higher power principle. Now keep in mind, we're, we're, we're finding names, if you will, for these principles simply as we think about dealing with others. When you deal with others tomorrow at work or maybe in your home tonight or maybe neighbors tomorrow in your community, will you choose to deal with them based upon the higher power? In other words, there's an almighty God in your life that you have submitted yourself to him. He is so much higher than you. He is so much greater than you. And so you will choose and you remember gentleness? We're not going to talk a lot about gentleness tonight because if you were here and if you weren't, you can get a tape of it. When we were studying the Beatitudes, 
Remember when we talked about meekness? Meekness and gentleness are not exactly the same, but they are so close that if you get the lesson on meekness where that is taking the reins in your life and saying, God, I hand them over to you. And you remember we talked about how powerful a stallion can be on his own. But what happens when that stallion is brought under control of the master and now he's under the reins of the master? It is power under control. And so God wants to know, as he gives these characteristics here, are you going to be willing to hand off the reins? Because then that's when God can produce fruit in your life. If you hang on to the reins, you can't have the positive, the righteous, the fruit of the Spirit. But when we're willing to say, Lord, and and really, this is what it gets down to. Lord, I trust you. Do you really? I ask you to just pray about that one. I ask you to meditate upon that one. When you're driving to work tomorrow, turn the radio off, turn everything down, and and just meditate on that for five or ten minutes. Do you really trust God with everything? Do you trust God? Hand the reins over. Gentleness. Lord, it's in your hands. I give you my life. But notice that last one. It's self-control. Self-control is interesting in the fact that for us to become children of God who have yielded our will to His will, it's not to say that we crucify our will to pick up a, a reformed version of our will. You see, that's not at all what self-control is about. Self-control is crucifying our will, putting it to death, and taking on the will of the Father. We see a beautiful example of that of Jesus whenever He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and He did not look forward to the physical pain and to the shame that was associated with the cross, and so He prayed for this cup to pass from Him, but then He said, not my will, but Thy will be done. In other words, even Jesus on this earth was showing us, he was saying to the Lord, not only do I put the reins in your hand, but Lord, I crucify my self-will and I make my life about your will. In other words, now I have been brought under control. Self-control is sometimes considered uh, temperance. Also, what's interesting, in its root, it's very, very similar to virtue. And so it's the idea of if we leave ourselves to our own control. And if you have your Bible open again, you see there, 19, 20, 21, those things that you read in the works of the flesh, those are the things that come out in a life who is not yielding to any kind of self-control. In other words, if you're going to live by your passions and by your desire, it'll be sins or sins like this that will be reigning in your life. And so here he says, crucify those. Crucify the passions and desires that lead to those sins. Instead, practice control. Practice discipline. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts the 24th chapter. Acts the 24th chapter, we see a powerful example of self-control as it was preached. And as we see it being preached, we see the absence of self-control in the way that the life was being lived by the listeners of this sermon. By this time in Acts the 24th chapter, Paul has been arrested. He will eventually go from standing here before Felix to uh, Agrippa, and then he will eventually make his way all the way to Rome. 
And so this is early on in this, in this process. And so Felix comes to him in Acts the 24th chapter. And in verse 22, he, he begins uh, this, this process of being interviewed, if you will, by Felix. And I'd like for us to pick up in 24 for time's sake. And after some days... When Felix, this is Acts 24, 24. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now that's interesting. Calls Paul together with them. So here is, here is this powerful man, his wife, and then Paul. Paul, we want you to talk to us. Okay, what do you want? We want to hear about this Faith in Christ. Now, he's not saying, Paul, we want to hear how committed you are. You know, that would be one way to talk about your faith. How, how much conviction do you have? But he's talking about the faith in Christ. Ephesians 4 and 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about the system of belief. In other words, he has heard that Christianity has a system of belief. And so he's brought him in to say, tell me about the system of belief of Christianity. In other words, if I wanted to become a Christian, what would I need to know? What would I need to do? Now to this man, Paul answers, look at 25. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, there's our word for the night, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Do you see the three things? It's, it's very systematic in what he said. In other words, you want me to tell you about the faith? Number one, I tell you this. It is a standard of righteousness. It's not about what you want. It's not about what other people want. It's about what God wants. There is a standard of righteousness. Number two, the standard of righteousness, God expects you to live it. Self-control. Here's the standard. Are you going to discipline yourself and live this way? Why would anybody want to do that? You can imagine Felix, maybe Drusilla saying to himself, oh, we don't want to do that. And Paul says, well, let me tell you why you might want to do this. Point number three, there is a judgment coming. You're going to stand before God on the day of judgment and you're going to give an account. And to those who are not Christ, those who are not children of God, and can you imagine him describing to them hell? Can you imagine him describing to them heaven? And what does it say? I'm ready now to become a Christian. No, it says they became afraid. Why? They started believing what Paul was saying, but they did not want to practice self-control. They started believing there was a righteous standard. They started believing that there was a judgment, but they did not want to practice self-control. So the idea is get it out of my mind. Get, it, get him out of my eyesight. Get him out of my ears. Send him away. If I ever want to see you again, if there's a convenient season, I'll call for you. Why? Why was that so offensive? Perhaps it could have been offensive to many people for many reasons, but you know what we know about them? We know that Drusilla, when she was a young teenager, remember she was Jewish, she was the daughter of King Agrippa. As a young teenager, he gave her in marriage to a man. This man did not turn out nearly as successful as what the family thought that he would be. Felix already had one wife divorced her. A second wife divorced her for this 16-year-old beautiful girl. She welcomed this marriage. And so here are these individuals. They are living a life that has proven they have not restrained themselves 
in any area of morality. And so here are these individuals that have proven no self-control. And now they hear the plea of the Christian faith, righteousness, self-control, the judgment that is to come. And instead of changing their life, they wanted to change the message by getting Him out of sight. Friends, tonight, when we think about self-control, we must realize that it is a plea of discipline. If you will, look with me to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. As we look at this text, I'd like for you to simply be asking yourselves as we read this text, if I believe that there is a standard of righteousness and I want to practice self-control in my life because I want it to be a, I want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I want my life to exemplify that I am under God's control because I love God, because I believe there's a day of judgment. I believe that God's grace is powerful and that I can be saved and I can have an eternity with Him. I also believe that hell is real. And I believe that damnation and condemnation are terrible things. And, and so I believe all of this about judgment. Where does that leave me as it relates to self-control? Maybe someone here tonight is saying, you know what? I believe self-control is more important than I've ever thought before tonight, but I still don't know exactly how to implement it into my life. That's a fair enough question. That's a fair enough observation. Let's look at one passage before we close this lesson here in 1 Corinthians 9 to see an example of where Paul says, this is how I brought self-control into my life. This is a passage that's written even, and especially, I say even, it's even more so in the original Greek than it is in a lot of English translations. It's written almost entirely with athletic terms. We lose a little bit of that in the English, but it's all athletic terms as we begin in the 24th verse of 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. In the Bible in your pew, it's 1018. 1018. Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. You see, that's that idea of self-control. Is temperate in all things. Now he's talking about physically at that point. Those that run physically, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Now what about us spiritually? For we, but we, for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul writes a passage here where the whole paragraph is about discipline. Do you realize that is so much a part of self-control? It's being willing to say, I will, I will focus, I will submit, I will sacrifice. Wouldn't you agree that all three of those are key factors of discipline? Those of you that are runners, you know how you have to focus. You know how you have to submit to the rules of running in the sense of what does it take to get your body in shape? 
What if someone foolishly said, oh, I don't want to believe what people say about getting yourself in shape. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run two or three days before a marathon and then I'm going to go out and run it. All of you that are training for marathons right now, you know how ridiculous that would be. You either submit to what is real or you don't compete for the prize. And yes, it takes sacrifice. I'm sure many of you runners, when you hit your alarm clock in the morning, you probably think about that sacrifice real often. What about in spiritual terms? We say, I believe that there's a standard of righteousness. I want to practice self-control. How do I do it? First, as a runner, we have to focus. See there in 26? Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. We have to know where we're running. I want to ask you this tonight, not on a wish or a whim, but can you answer with the full assurance of faith? I know that I am running toward heaven. I have my eyes on the Lord. I'm sold out. I'm fully committed. My focus is on God. Paul said, when I run, I don't run with uncertainty. Well, I don't really know if I want to make that commitment. I know I want to be religious, but I don't really know if I'm, I'm really sold out for the Lord. Can you say, like Paul, I run with certainty? We can't be people of the ultimate self-control unless we really know where we're going. We've got that focus. But the second thing that we mention here is submission. Do you see there in the middle of 27, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection? We have to submit to God to be in self-control. You remember at the beginning of the lesson, whenever we talked about the definition of self-control, it's not just saying, I'm going to crucify the self-control or the absence of it that I have now, and I'm going to take on some kind of human version that is a much better version. What we have to do is crucify self-will to take on the will of God. In other words, we have to be in submission under the subjection of God. We have to, as we oftentimes sing, we have to allow God to reign in our life. Is he truly reigning in our life? And then third, there has to be that sacrifice. Look again at 27 when he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. If That is the, the exact concept of saying, I'm training. That's the concept of saying, I'm sacrificing. Remember I told you that in the original text, it's probably a little more heavier on the athletic term. When I first heard this, I didn't believe it. And so I went up back and looked it up for myself. You know, the Greek there, if you wanted to really translate it, it might not, we might not understand it as well. But if you want to translate it as it literally is speaking there, he says, I blacken my eye and bruise my body under the subjection of God. He is literally saying where an athlete would say, I'm willing to sacrifice my body to win that prize. I think that's no stretch for Paul. Remember, he had marks all over his body where he took his stand for the Lord and he knew what it was to blacken an eye or to have skin torn open or to, to endure uh, the, the rocks and the stones that were hitting him or to be out in shipwreck. He knew what it was for his body to be sacrificed 
for the good. And we look back at that for a minute and say, well, what is that? Brothers and sisters, that's self-control. If he had not been under self-control, he would have turned his back and said, I'm tired of hurting. I'm tired of people mocking me. I'm tired of my countrymen hating me. I'm tired of being disliked. I just want to be loved by people. And so then it would have been his control, not God's control. Tonight, what's your focus? Are you submitting under the subjection of God? Are you willing to sacrifice? No matter what the cost, no matter what you have to pay, can you say, I want to be controlled by God? Self-control. Tonight, we take all of that and remind us that's the way we interact with others. You want to build a strong relationship? Say, I'm going to interact with you the way God would want me to interact no matter what it costs, no matter how bad it hurts. I want God to be magnified in my life. I believe that's how we build fruitful and fantastic relationships. May God bless us as we strive to be in relationships exactly what God has designed for us to be. What about your relationship with Him? Are you saved? Have you begun that journey? Do you need help beginning that journey tonight? If we can help you in any way, Please come as we stand and as we sing. Jesus, I surrender all.
we're always thankful to have the opportunity to pray. And to pray for each other is a mighty gift that God gives us. And Symmetria Wilson comes forward this evening and uh, she makes the statement that, that this uh, characteristic or concept of the fruit of the Spirit of self-control is, is one of her greatest challenges. And she says that too often she's shown a lack of self-control in her, in her temper and in various ways. And she wants God's forgiveness in that and she wants the church's prayers. And she wants to be exactly what God 